let's say I have two heavy strength training sessions and then one explosive session, or maybe two weeks of heavy strength training sessions, so four of them in total, and then one week of focus on explosive strength training. That Triathlon Show, episode 81. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host, Michael, and today's episode is an ultimate guide. That's what I have on tap for you. It's the triathlete's formula for strength training uh, with tongue-in-cheek. There's maybe not su- such a thing as a formula, but in strength training, we know a lot about what to do when it comes to endurance athletes and how endurance athletes can benefit from strength training. And it's one of my passion topics within endurance sports as well. So I'm super fired up about this. I'm loaded with an espresso that I just had and uh, ready to go. So uh, a summary of what you'll hear today is first, what performance benefits you can expect in triathlon from including strength training in your training. And you'll hear what type of strength training to do, because they're not all equal. There there is specific types of strength trainings that are more beneficial than others. Of course, we have the application side of thing is strong as usual in that triathlon show. So examples of how to program your strength training and what you need to do to progress it and periodize it. And how to plan your strength training so that, or your training so that you don't get any interference effects between the strength training that you do and the endurance training that you do. Because that's something that can easily happen. You can have interference effects because they are so different. And if you're not careful with that planning, then maybe you're not getting as much out of the strength training as you could. And there will be lots more. This is a doozy. It's an ultimate guide. So I'm very much looking forward to it. But first, let's thank today's sponsors. We have Precision Hydration. They have sweat tested thousands of athletes and they have found that the average athlete loses about 950 milligrams of sodium per liter of sweat, which is about twice what most traditional electrolyte supplements contain. So to find out your ballpark number of sweat sodium content quickly, easily and for free, go to precisionhydration.com, which uh, I linked to down below in the episode description. And if you want to buy any of their products, use the discount code thattriathlonshow, all one word, for 15% off. This episode is also sponsored by Ventum. The Ventum 1 is a true superbike with no down tube and no seat stays, which makes it more aerodynamic than a traditional bike. You can read all about Ventum's impressive wind tunnel test results on VentumRacing.com. The Ventum 1 demonstrated a significantly better aerodynamic performance with 24% less drag than the closest competing bicycle tested, which I believe was a Cervelo P5. So if you're in the market for a new tri-bike, look no further than Ventum. Right, so on to the main topic of strength training. For a lot of this discussion that follows, I'll fall back on a few solid, solid resources. One of them is a brilliant presentation by Inigo Mujica, who is a world-class Spanish scientist and a coach. Uh, He has, among others, coached one uh, Spanish swimmer. I don't remember her name, but she has won like hundreds of medals at recent world championships and and, uh, Olympics. And you can watch that talk on YouTube. It's from the Science Triathlon Conference in Paris in 2015. So it's a couple years old, but it's still brilliant, still very relevant. I'll just, of course, add in some more recent studies since his presentation and some more recent findings uh, and how to apply them. Uh, But most of it is uh, exactly as uh, Inigo says in that presentation. So I highly recommend you watch that. It's just 50 minutes long and you will be very much entertained. Do it while you're on the trainer. It's linked to in the show notes, of course. I've also used the book Cycling Science, co-edited by Stephen Chung, who you just heard on podcasts 73 and 74, podcast episodes 73 and 74, and Triathlon Science, co-edited by Joe Friel and Jim Vance, both of whom are also previous guests in episodes 1 and 7, so way back in the day. Alright, so the way that I will structure this is first talk about the benefits of strength training and some of the evidence 
of uh, what triathletes can expect from incorporating strength training. Then we'll go right, right on to application and how to really include this in your training, what to do, when to do it, how to do it, all those nitty-gritty questions that I know that you want out of this. You don't want just theory, we need to make this very much actionable. And then towards the end, I'll talk a little bit about interference between strength training and endurance training. Uh, that's very important in your training planning as well, that you consider not causing interference by planning your training cleverly. And finally, we'll talk a little bit about the, the mechanisms of why strength training works, but that'll just be a little short bit. So let's start with the benefits of strength training. So in the late 90s and early 2000s, there still wasn't really enough good available evidence to suggest that strength training would improve endurance performance. However, this has changed dramatically over the last 15 or 20 years. And now we know for sure, based on the evidence, there is a lot of studies showing that strength training for endurance athletes can improve exercise economy, it can improve anaerobic capacity, it can improve lactate threshold, it can reduce uh, delayed fatigue in, uh, in endurance performance, it can improve maximal strength and the rate of force development, it can improve maximal speed, and it can improve endurance performance in general because of all of these things. The one thing that we don't think that strength training does, it does not improve your VO2 max, but it can improve your speed or your power at VO2 max because your economy becomes improved. Then what about some things that have been, in, at some points at least, pointed out as potential negative, uh, negative impacts of strength training? Increased body mass, that's obviously not something that we want as endurance athletes, but there's no evidence to suggest that strength training increases body mass. It uh, increases lean body mass, but it also usually comes with some fat loss, so that's really, really good. And uh, all of the other potential negatives are really really related to that uh, increased body mass, like for example, VO2 max in terms of uh, milliliters of oxygen per kilogram body weight, that has, some have indicated that might be, be reduced, but it's not because body mass stays relatively constant, even when you introduce strength training. So that's an overall perspective. There's a lot of positives and uh, no negatives, really. All the other things as well. Reduced capillarization has been uh, suggested and reduced oxidative enzyme activity. But the collective evidence today suggests that that is not something that is caused by strength training. So let's talk a little bit about some example studies for multisport athletes. First, we have a 2002. And by the way, all of these studies, I'll link to them in the show notes on thattriathlonshow.com and down in the episode description. So first, we have a study from 2002, effects of concurrent endurance and strength training on running economy and VO2 kinetics. And that study had 15 triathletes in it. They did 14 weeks of two times per week heavy weight resistant training. And they always used weights that were above 90% of their one rep maximum. So really heavy. And they improved their maximal strength and their running economy and also their velocity, their speed at VO2 max. Although VO2 max itself did not improve. But because of that running economy... They, at their VO2 max, their maximum aerobic capacity, they were faster, which is a really good thing. Then we have a 2010 study, also in triathletes. It's called Endurance and Strength Training Effects on Physiological and Muscular Parameters During Prolonged Cycling. So this one affected the results on cycling, but in a triathlon group, just as the above, but the above study used running. So they had a five-week program, which is uh, a bit shorter, but three times per week of strength training. And again, always above 90% of the one rep maximum. And uh, this study confirmed that the decrease in free cycling chosen cadence with exercise duration. So if you go for a long bike ride, you usually may see that your cadence drops towards the end of the ride. And they showed that this happens, but after five weeks of strength training, the reduction is much, much less significant in the group that had done strength training compared to the group that did not. And they concluded that this is because strength training can help prevent neuromuscular fatigue, which is what causes that reduction in cadence. I'm not the biggest fan of this study, to be honest, because it's not a direct performance-related study, but I threw it in there just because it investigated 
dedicated triathletes. But I think the the former one with the, the running performance studies and running economy and so on, that was much more interesting. And finally, we have uh, a study in uh, duathletes from this year. It's called Heavy Strength Training Improves Running and Cycling Performance Following Prolonged Submaximal Work in Well-Trained Female Athletes. They had 19 female duathletes, so this is an in- interesting uh, topic as well. They had female athletes. Often sports science is criticized for having mostly male participants in most studies. Uh, this one was with all females, so that's really good. The strength training they did consisted of four lower body exercises and they used three sets of four to ten repetitions at uh, basically not not completely to failure but uh, four rep maximum to ten rep maximum essentially so so yeah almost to failure twice a week for 11 weeks uh, yeah that's uh, that's what they did so i'm just trying to Confirm here that I read that correctly, but uh, yes, four exercises, three sets per three sets per exercise, and two strength training sessions per week. Okay, I hope I didn't confuse you. That lasted for eleven weeks, and then they assessed running and cycling performance with uh, five-minute all-out tests that were performed immediately after prolonged periods of sub-maximal work, and that was three hours of cycling or and uh, one and a half hours of running, and in cycling. The strength training group improved uh, the performance with seven percent compared to the uh, to the non uh, strength training group, the control group, and the running group with four point seven percent, almost five percent compared to the control group. So the control group did not have any significant differences in performance before and after, but the strength training group did have significant performance improvements: seven percent in cycling, five percent in running. So that's good. And also the strength training group, they had reduced oxygen consumption, that's economy, exercise economy, and they had reduced heart rate during the final two hours of cycling. Uh, So uh, yeah, that's. uh, but they didn't have any of those in running, which uh, was interesting. And finally, we have a review study from 2013, uh, which is called Optimizing Strength Training for Running and Cycling Endurance Performance, a review by uh, one of my favorite researchers, actually, uh, Rönnestad from uh, Norway. He has, uh, I talked about him in the block periodization episode that I did. Uh, he does a really, really a lot of good research in Norway. Anyway, uh, he, together actually with Inigo Mujica, uh, confirmed that running economy is improved by performing combined endurance training with heavy or explosive strength training. However, heavy strength training is recommended for improving cycling economy. So there's a slight difference there. With running, you can go both ways, heavy weights uh, or explosive strength training. But with cycling, it really is the heavy weights that will give you the most bang for your buck. Even in the heavy the heavy strength training, if you can try to get your intended velocity, velocity, even if the actual velocity isn't big, to be greater, that's something that may be really, really beneficial. But that's something that I'll talk a little bit more about later. All right, so that's uh, for the multi-sport side of things. I just want to quickly cover a few, few things for running and cycling. I won't be too long on this, I promise. And then we get into the practical side of things. But there are several meta-analysis and review studies in running first from uh, this year, two of them, and from last year, one. And uh, not even going to list their names here because they will be on the show notes page. But one of them included 16 relevant studies for how strength training, heavyweight strength training improves running economy or affects running economy. They didn't just include positive studies, of course. And... uh, with explosive strength training, they had an improvement of 4.8%. And with heavy weight, they had an improvement of 3.7%. So it's pretty similar, but they also uh, checked how isometric training in those reviews they included or, or included studies in the review. And isometric training did not have a significant effect on running economy. So again... Explosive training and heavyweight training based on that study seem to be fairly similar. Maybe give the nod to explosive training. Uh, And uh, yeah, that's uh, about it from that meta-analysis, what I wanted to say. And the second one is not just looking at a running economy, but it's actually looking at performance. It's called Strength Training for Middle and Long Distance Performance, a meta-analysis by Berryman. 
and they had 28 studies included in this meta-analysis and they found improvements in middle and long distance performance that were associated with improvements in the running economy again but also maximal force and maximal power and they found that maximal force training led to greater improvements than other intensities and that's regarding the strength training Again, it refers to lifting heavy, not lifting high rep, low weight, actually lifting low rep, high weight. And this is a theme that we come back to again and again. If you're an endurance athlete and you want to get into strength training, you need to be lifting heavy to get the most bang for your buck there. Then we have another meta-analysis. This is the final one. It's from last year, from 2016. It's called Effects of Strength Training on Running Economy in Highly Trained Runners, a Systematic Review with Meta-Analysis of Controlled Trials. And they included just five studies that met the inclusion criteria, uh, but they had pretty strict inclusion criteria. It had to be high-level runners and so on. And uh, Interestingly, this is a bit different because four of these five studies used low to moderate strength training, resistance training intensities. So that was 40 to 70% of uh, the one rep maximum. And all of them used low to moderate training volume. So that would be two to four resistance lower body exercises. uh, So leg day, essentially, uh, plus up to 200 jumps and five to 10 short sprints. So there's a clear plyometric component there. They did this two to three times per week for eight to 12 weeks. And when they pooled these studies and uh, and combined, analyzed the combined effect uh, or the ad- aggregated effect, as uh, we can call it, the effect of strength training programs on running economy, specifically in high level, middle and long distance runners, showed a large beneficial effect. And mind you, this is even though these were uh, more low weight, high rep kind of training. So uh, this meta-analysis shows that in high-level runners at least, that too can be beneficial, which goes again against most of the other advice that we see and most of the other uh, studies and even meta-analysis. But since this is actually a meta-analysis that pools studies, then it, it, has some, it has some legs. So I think that this, I wanted to include this because it shows that there's not one way to skin a cat, even though I talk about a formula in the title. Sorry about that. Uh, I don't mean that it's a formula, but uh, uh, I think it's important that you listen to this episode. So that's why I selected the title the way I did. Anyway, there there is more than one way to skin a cat. And even though I am definitely a proponent and most of the evidence suggests that high rep, uh, sorry, high weight, low rep strength training is much more beneficial this one uh, meta-analysis goes against that. So uh, just to bear that in mind, I think, is, uh, is important. All right, so let's move on to cycling. First of all, I want to say that I've borrowed this information from the book Cycling Science by Stephen Chung, which is, uh, or edited by Stephen Chung, which is a brilliant, brilliant book. You heard Stephen a few episodes ago, and he talked about exactly that, Cycling Science. Uh, But from the strength training chapter, uh, since they had already aggregated the studies for me, I didn't need to do that myself the way I just did the running studies. I found them all through Google Scholar. Anyway, uh, here this work was already done. So let's talk about cycling economy first. So in well-trained and elite cyclists, there hasn't actually been a huge amount of studies that have shown positive effects on cycling economy by strength training. But that has been uh, the case in moderately trained cyclists, definitely, in several studies. And also in elite cyclists or well-trained cyclists uh, after a long duration. So let's say you cycle for two or three hours. And then during the last hour of cycling, the economy in the group that has done strength training increases. And this is massive, massively relevant for triathletes, especially if you're doing, doing half or full distance triathlons. Uh, So if your cycling economy improves as the duration grows longer and longer, then that is going to translate into into good time savings for you as well. So, But then we also have performance, of course, and the maximum aerobic power, which is equivalent to the velocity at VO2 max we talked about before. In this case, it is power at VO2 max. But those are two other other measures, but especially the performance one is important here, of course, time trial performance. 
And there are many, many studies that have showed, shown positive effects of including strength training in, uh, in a cycling training program and how it can result in faster time trial times. So I'm just reading here from Cycling Science and, and basically the takeaway points here is that they have used multiple leg exercises during a minimum of eight weeks. That has been shown to be the minimum uh, period that you need to do strength training to see really good results. And the studies, the few studies that have failed to show improvement in terms of time trial or, or power at, uh, at VO2 max, they have been shorter in duration or they have used low volume of strength training or explosive strength training. So that's a very important point that in cycling, uh, protocols that have been using explosive strength training have not necessarily been beneficial and resulted in performance improvements. So we need to remember this. Uh, explosive strength training was very good for running, as we talked about before, but not necessarily the best for cycling. So uh, that's, and that's the same for both time trials, 30 to 60 minute time trials. There are many studies listed here in Cycling Science. I won't cover them all. Rennestad is behind one of them, two of them actually, and many, many others, Hicks and Connicks, uh, Rastat, uh, etc. You can buy Cycling Science. You should do that. It's a very good book and, uh, and look them up yourself. Anyway, that's, that's about it. Uh, there, essentially, there are a lot of studies and cycling science aggregated the knowledge into that. We need to do heavy strength training, not necessarily explosive strength training. There's one more meta-analysis on cycling that I want to mention here. It's by Yamamoto from 2010. It's called The Effects of Resistance Training on Road Cycling Performance Among Highly Trained Cyclists, a Systematic Review. And they had five studies meet the inclusion criteria. Again, this was highly trained road cyclists. And uh, the outcome measures were cycling performance, so time trial or time to exhaustion. And here again, my point for including this meta-analysis to show you that there's kind of, depending on how you look at things, you may get different results. Because this study found that uh, actually, only three of the five studies found uh, an improvement compared to the control group in uh, the cycling performance. But uh, of the studies that uh, that did find, find improvements, actually, the two studies that did not find improvements, they added resistance training on top of the athlete's existing endurance training program. So they added additional training. But uh, two of the three studies that found improvement they just exchanged some of the endurance training for resistance training instead, so kept the total training volume constant. So that's interesting. You don't need to add more training. You can actually substitute some of your endurance training for strength training, which I think is recommended, actually, and it's not just something that you can do. Also, another thing to note here is that uh, of the three studies that in this meta-analysis showed improvement in cycling performance, two of them used high-intensity explosive type of resistance training. This goes against what we saw in cycling science. Um, in this case, I should point out that this meta-analysis is from 2010. Cycling science is from 2017. I definitely would lean towards the cycling science one. So for bike strength specifically, or bike performance, I should say, I am myself of the belief that uh, that maximum strength, not necessarily explosive strength training, is better. But then again, we saw definitely that explosive strength training is very beneficial for running. So I think that in conclusion, we can say that for triathletes, a combination of both heavy, heavy strength training and heavy explosive strength training is beneficial. And just to quickly cover other sports, this will take 10 seconds, I promise. There have been similar results in all sorts of other Olympic endurance sports, including swimming, rowing, triathlon. I already mentioned triathlon, actually, and cross-country skiing. So there you go. This isn't just cycling and running. I guess that's about it. For the benefits, let's move on to the fun stuff, the application of strength training for triathletes. So let me first make a few main points, general points about how you should do your strength training, how to include it in your program, what kind of strength training to do, etc. These are the main broad takeaways that if you remember nothing else, remember these points. So this probably goes without saying, but it's important to try to involve similar muscle groups and if possible also even imitate sport-specific movements in your strength training. 
the squat is a brilliant example of a specific resistance exercise that you can use because it uses the same kind of muscle groups and has some similarities to the concentric concentric part of that, that we use in running and cycling. Then most of the studies indicate that two strength training sessions per week is typically enough to achieve a sufficient increase in strength to result in endurance improvements in an 8 to 12 week period. I would personally advise going for that 12 week period to be on the safe side, just because strength training has so many other benefits as well. You're not definitely not going to, to lose something from it. Next point, the kind of weight that you should be lifting is typically based on the ex- existing science between four and eight reps and two to three sets with approximately two to three minutes of rest between sets. This is, uh, yeah, this this is true based on the science that has been done, but as I will talk about a bit later, I advise staying below that eight reps and actually going to, not in your, when you adapt, when you first start tra- strength training, then 10 to 12 reps with light weight can be really good. But when you get into the meat, the bulk of your strength training program, then going to six reps or below, I think is uh, the sweet spot where you want to be. And I would also suggest three sets, not just two sets. With, yes, two to three minutes of rest between sets, that's definitely... This is very important. Don't go and start doing this strength training as some kind of circuit training where you jump between exercises and not get any rest between them. You need, you must have those rests and you will feel silly probably because you're used to endurance training where you're working hard, working hard, working hard and and really just dying for a rest. And now when you go and do strength training, you will just be sitting around and wondering what the heck am I spending my time on sitting around and doing nothing? Yes, exactly. You're recovering so that you will get the most benefits, the best adaptations from your strength training. Massive, massive importance in the rest between sets in strength training. And finally, you can't just forget about strength training when you get to your racing season and stop it completely and expect the benefits to last. The maintenance that you need to do though is uh, very minimal. One session per week is enough. You don't need to do three sets per exercise any longer. You don't need to do as high weights. You can reduce the weight slightly, maybe do a few more reps, but you don't you don't even need to go high rep. You can go middle rep, middle weight. So uh, to minimize muscle soreness and just to maintain those strength training gains that you made in your strength training period. So But this is another very important point and something that goes wrong so many times for athletes. And I made this mistake myself and I've made it in my coaching as well that uh, sometimes I haven't really had that maintenance in in the programs. But now just studying up on this, uh, this, this is something that I'm going to address both in my own training and in my athletes training. We need some kind of, of maintenance. And some studies I seem to remember have shown that not even once per week, maybe up to every eight or 10 days, that can be sufficient. So, but you need to do maintenance. And a couple of things, when we talk about explosive training, it's really the intended velocity rather than the actual velocity that seems to determine the training response. This is something that I learned from cycling science. So although you may be really, really slowly lifting that that bar in your squat, if you're trying to be powerful, trying to lift it as fast as possible, the intended velocity is what counts and it can actually count as explosive training. So that's uh, very interesting. And that intended velocity is what determines if you can improve your rate of force development, which is one of the factors that strength training can uh, can improve. And, and this is especially important, not necessarily in your overall endurance performance, but more so in your starts and in your sprint finishes that you can really recruit a lot of muscles really, really fast. So keep that in mind when it comes to explosive training. Then, And that's only for the lift or the concentric phase, I should say. So in a squat, for example, when you lift, you go up, that's the concentric phase. And if you try to do that quickly, then it's counting as, as explosive training. And then when you lower down the eccentric part, that you should be doing slowly. That's, uh, that reduces the risk of injury. So don't try to be fast in the eccentric phase, even if it's called explosive training. Just a couple of short general things. Core stability uh, or core strength, you should be doing that all season long, several times per week. That's a must. 
and uh, yeah, uh, do it whenever before workouts, after workouts, uh, or when you're going before you're going to get to bed, whenever. But it has to be done. And then for your strength training periodization, remember that it must be periodized. It must be progressive. If you just lift the same number of sets, reps, and weights every time, it's not really going to do you much good. So so you might might as well not bother. You need to have a progressive, smart periodized training program for this to work for you. And finally, plyometric training. This is something that I haven't talked about so far very much. But this is, when it comes to, I guess this is a subset of explosive training, really. Or maybe it stands on its own. Anyway, there is a lot of good benefits for plyometric training, for running especially, that it can have massive benefits for running. So uh, you can do plyometric training in addition to heavy strength training, or you can substitute one heavy strength training session for plyometrics. I think both are really, really good options. Uh, I will talk a little bit about what I do in my strength training program that I design for my athletes uh, very, very soon. But anyway, I will include a couple of links as well. There's one study done by Saunders and colleagues at the Australian Institute of Sport in 2006 that has a plyometric program in it that you can check out and you can use that. Or I will also link to runningridings.com by John Davies, who's a very good running coach. And he has also a plyometric program on his website that I will link to that you can check out for some inspiration. So what about the Michael Erickson strength training program, the one that I give to my athletes? It's, uh, let me give you an overview it's uh, 16 weeks long, that's the standard program, but then obviously it's uh, adapted based on uh, how the season progresses, where the races fall, and so on. But this is the standard version, and then it's uh, adapted as needed. The three first weeks are adaptation, it's preparing you to for the harder strength training. So it's higher reps, lower weights, going from from 12, 14 reps or so to down to eight reps and at a low, low weights to moderate weights as you progress through those sessions, two sessions per week. And then the following nine weeks are undulating heavy strength training with explosive strength training with an, m- more emphasis, I would say, on the heavy strength training without the explosive component. Because as we saw in cycling, there might, it might be the case that heavy strength training is better than explosive. So, so I will have, for example, let's say I have two heavy strength training sessions and then one explosive session, or maybe two weeks of heavy strength training sessions, so four of them in total, and then one week of uh, focus on explosive strength training. The exercises will be the same, but uh, the weights lifted will be different. In, in the heavy strength training period, the weights lifted will be something like 80 and working up to, to 90 or 90 plus percent of one rep maximum. But uh, in the explosive phase, it's uh, much smaller than that. It can be 60% or so, 60-70%, even 50% later in the program when it becomes even faster. Uh, Anyway, that's uh, the bulk of the program, I would say, is those nine weeks, undulating heavy strength and explosive strength. But then we have the four last weeks. They are explosive strength and with plyometrics added in. So it, uh, it shifts a bit. And then the explosive strength training is done with even less weight, so working up from 50% of one rep max to uh, to 60% of one rep max, uh, if I recall correctly, and focusing really on the speed of the lift and in the concentric phase, not the eccentric phase. And then the plyometrics added in are actually performed in the same strength training sessions with rest between obviously the different sets and the different plyometric exercises. So that's how that works. We get in all the different sorts of strength training that has been proven beneficial. Heavy strength for cycling primarily, but also running. Explosive strength for running and plyometrics. And and explosive strength maybe for cycling. And plyometrics for running. And by the way, I also have... uh, Every session has at least one upper body exercise that is specific for swimming. So that's also added in. And the same principles apply there. So it can be a lat pull down or something like that. Um... Yeah, a couple of points, at least two days between strength training sessions uh, to recover properly. And uh, that's about it. But then uh, really, it's just a basic program that progresses. So you will have like maybe six reps at 75% of one rep max when you first start on your heavy strength or maybe 80%. But then it will progress to five at 85, maybe or maybe four at 85, and then it will be 
free at 90 or something like that. I'm not looking at the program right now, so I don't remember the exact numbers. But the point here is that it's never really the same for longer than one week. There is a slight progression and a periodization in it at all times. And that's something that goes wrong so many times. So I can't emphasize enough how important it is to have a progressive strength training programs. And some important notes here, I do go even lower than the four reps recommended by endurance strength training studies, because when I looked at pure resistance strength literature, six reps really is the maximum ceiling for what can be considered low rep, high weight strength training and cause those neuromuscular adaptations as opposed to hypertrophic adaptations. Uh, We're really after those neuromuscular adaptations and not hypertrophy, which is uh, increased muscle size. We want just increased strength through better interaction between the nervous system and the muscles themselves. So, So six reps is the high end of that spectrum, but it goes down to two or even one rep. So I don't use that. I use... I think I have maybe one session with two reps in some exercises, but uh, I would say that three reps is what I go down to a bit more regularly, but definitely quite a lot of sessions with four or sets with four reps and three three reps as well. And I really think that the reason why some recommendations in the endurance world to go only to four is that we haven't, that's the way that the protocols in the science in endurance sports have been designed. But I think it's worth applying the science from the strength training world here because there is extensive, extensive research done in in that world as well. A little bit about the recovery in my program. In the adaptation phase, moderate or low weight and uh, moderate or high number of reps. Uh, 30 seconds to one and a half minutes of rest between sets. I'm not too bothered about that, to be honest, because it's just adaptation. But then when you get into the heavy strength training or explosive strength training sets, Uh, you must keep those two to three minutes. I recommend three minutes of rest between sets and exercises. And we also work in one rep maximum tests a couple of times in the program. You wouldn't, if you have heard this podcast for a long time and you know about training with zones, whether they be heart rate, power, pace, uh, whatever they may be, you go out and do a test to establish your training zones. And for many of you, that's... uh, clear as day there's no question about you you wouldn't just go out and guess what intensity you go out and ride your bike run or swim at you you know because you have established your zones and it's exactly the same in strength training and that's why we need to do those one rep maximum tests so that's not actually trying to lift a weight for one rep uh, with as high weight as you can you choose weights that you think you can lift between maybe four to eight times until failure, until you can no longer lift with good form, without cheating, I used to call it. So, and then there are calculators. I will link to it. It's on exrx.net that you can use to calculate your theoretical one rep max based on the weight that you lifted and the number of reps you managed until failure with that weight for that exercise. And the exercises themselves that I include, I have on let's say that you have a strength training session on monday and one on thursday then i will have half of these exercises on the monday session and half on the thursday so it's four lower body and one upper body usually three to four lower body and one upper body per session so just listing them out here without any particular order the exercises that i include are double leg squat split squat romanian deadlift step ups good mornings lunges reverse lunges power cleans Lat pull down with a close grip. Alternatively, you can use rockers, but I prefer a close grip front uh, lat, close grip lat pull down. Uh, I need another espresso, I think. And then we have uh, triceps push down uh, as uh, the other upper body. And those are obviously for the lat pull down and the triceps push down are for, for swimming. And then the plyometric exercises are rocket jumps, bounding, scissor jumps, box jumps, quick skipping, A skips, and depth jumps. And obviously, when I give this program to my athletes, I send them videos of how to do all of these things. But you can YouTube them, Google them, and you will find find out how to do all of these exercises. And that way you can apply this for yourself. So again, remember that I used the plyometric exercises only come in in the last five weeks of the program Uh, i think i said it right was it five weeks i just said it so you can just uh go back to wherever it was 
10 minutes ago. Uh, but then for the strength exercises that I listed before that, half of them, five of them, 45 of them are on Mondays and 45 on Thursdays or whatever your days are. So that's uh, in a nutshell what my strength training program looks like. And I hope that you found that uh, insightful and that that can help you design your own progressive periodized strength training program. Now let's talk about interference between strength training and endurance training. So interference refers to when strength training and endurance training kind of cancel the other kind of trainings effects out, which may happen because they're so different and uh, it's just very complicated. There are many molecular pathways involved and all sorts of hormones and what have you. We won't go into detail here, but uh, there are four four cases when uh, molecular interference between strength training and endurance training may occur. And those are one, when you do aerobic training before endurance training, two, close proximity between two sessions, so strength or endurance sessions, three, high aerobic endurance intensity, and four, high aerobic endurance training volume. So uh, that sounds a bit grave, doesn't it? I know that I break some of those rules, but uh, it's not all that serious because these factors have been shown in people that are not used to both endurance and strength training. But uh, that may well be you. In that case, you need to be careful. If you are used to strength training and endurance training, I think you can have a little bit more leeway with these, but do pay attention to them. I think that if you can, placing the strength training session before the endurance session is uh, is definitely something that is uh, beneficial, especially in the heavy or explosive strength training phase. When you're in an adaptation phase, that's not necessarily critical. And then uh, also, if you can, placing one in the morning and the other in the afternoon or in the evening is uh, better. And definitely, I would suggest that, which is kind of natural anyway, you're in the off-season when you do the bulk of your strength training program and that uh, means that you don't do high endurance training intensity or high volume anyway. So, so that's good, but keep those in mind that you can't ramp up the volume or the intensity a lot and, and also start to include strength training because that's not going to, to end good. That can actually be, be pretty ugly. But yeah, I, as I said, personally, I do break those rules. What I do these, uh, these days, I'm in a heavy strength training phase now, and I do them right after my morning swim sessions, which is just logistically <laughs> easier for me. I could do it in the afternoon or in the evening. I couldn't do it before the swimming because the swim is a squad session. So I want to be there at... Uh, uh, half past six, I believe we start. Yes, half past six. Uh, anyway, so so that's that's too early to to start with a strength training session before that because that takes more than an hour for me anyway. But uh, I could maybe do it in the evening. But just for logistical reasons, I chose to do the strength training at the same venue as the swim training immediately after. So I do break those rules myself, and I think I'm still getting the benefits. But uh, don't take my word for it. Uh, that what the science says is what I said above, that you should try to separate them or do the strength training before. So do as I say, not as I do, potentially. Uh, then uh, we also have a study by, by Doherty from 2000, and uh, no, from 2000, the year of 2000, that showed that the zone of interference really only happens when you are focusing on peripheral adaptations in both strength and endurance training and what does this mean really? Well, it means that you have a very high intensity in your uh, endurance training. So 90% uh, of uh, VO2 max or higher intensity. So if you stay away from those VO2 max intervals, you're really going to stay away from that peripheral adaptation zone anyway and be more in the central adaptations, cardiovascular adaptation zone where interference is minimized. And for strength training, the peripheral adaptations, which is the danger zone for interference, that is when you have higher reps, so 8 uh, to 10 reps or higher even. But when you have lower reps, like 6 reps or lower, and this is exactly the numbers from the Doherty study, so he says that 6 reps or lower is when you are in the central neural adaptation zone for strength training. And again, when you are in the central adaptation zone for both strength training and endurance training, you don't have that risk of uh, of interference. So that's really good. 
And finally, one review study from Garcia Polares from 2012 called Strategies to Optimize Concurrent Training of Strength and Aerobic Fitness for Rowing and Canoeing. So a bit different, but they are definitely endurance sports. Uh, and I'll just actually read these, frankly, read these points almost copy-pasted because they are really good and they are quite short and they will give you some insight into how to optimize the concurrent training part. So, Garcia Polares writes that the residual fatigue caused by a previous endurance session could reduce and impair the quantity and quality of subsequent strength training sessions. In particular, for highly trained athletes, the strength training sessions should be placed before the endurance sessions or at least be separated by more than eight hours for both types of training sessions. And that is a face poem for myself, but there you go. <laughs> Life is not perfect. The next point is... Avoidance of the simultaneous development of, of 8 to 10 reps of strength training and aerobic power, so that is that higher than 90% of VO2 max, can reduce the interference phenomenon, so what we talked about above. And the next point is a training volume close to 3 to 5 sets in 4 to 6 specific and multi-joint exercises during 10 to 12 weeks of training cycles seem to be an adequate stimulus. And they talk about 3 times per week, but I think that the strength requirements are a bit higher for rowers and canoers than for triathletes, so I think that we can still remain safe that our 2 times per week is sufficient. I am confident in that. The next point is that short training phases, five weeks or so, using highly concentrated training loads, more than 50% of the total training volume, focusing on the concurrent development of one strength and one endurance target can provide a more effective training stimulus for the improvements of performance in highly trained athletes. This goes back to episode 68 on block periodization. Go back and listen to that. Uh, that's really good. And uh, yes, I do think that this is something that in highly trained athletes can be can be very critical. Then again, if you haven't done a lot of strength training, even if you are a highly trained triathlete, you're not a highly trained strength training athlete, so you don't necessarily need to stick to that when it comes to strength training. But uh, if you are very, very used to being in the gym, then yes, this is true as well in the strength training research world. Maybe you shouldn't do what I do in my program and have uh, undulating, explosive and heavyweight uh, strength training, but actually just focus on for five weeks, you have only one or the other, only heavyweight or explosive strength. So again, you see here that there are nuances and there's no one formula. I'm really sorry about the title of this episode, by the way. <laughs> I'm seeing now that uh, it's uh, not, not really that simple. Finally, the final point is that the training to repetition failure approach should be avoided in athletes at any performance level. Interesting point. I haven't seen that in any other study. There may be something to it. So uh, yeah, I think that that's good. And that's why you need a very planned progressive, uh, progressive approach to it so that you are challenging yourself almost to failure, but not quite to failure. So that's, uh, that's where the importance of the proper programming comes in. All right, let me just take two minutes here to talk about the uh, effects, the mechanisms of why strength training is beneficial for endurance performance. We have three different points to make here. So the first is that you improve your, your muscle strength through either muscle size or neuromuscular function. And in endurance athletes, it's usually neuromuscular function because we can't really cause hypertrophy. You would need a high rep program for that. And even in endurance athletes, that's not effective because the endurance training causes those interference aspects that we talked about. So, so it's a neuromuscular function that leads to improved maximum strength and rate of force development. How fast can you develop force? And this improves both your short duration performance and indirectly your long duration performance because the rate of force development specifically improves or reduces the muscle's fatigability. So this, this effect, neuromuscular function improvement causes improvements in both short and long term, uh, short duration and long duration endurance performance. Second, some of our 2x muscle fibers become 2A muscle fibers that have reduced fatigability compared to the 2X fibers, uh, really fast twitch, super fast twitch fibers. And that reduced fatigability, again, improves our long-term endurance. 
And finally, we have the muscular tendinous stiffness. We can improve that, become a bit stiffer, and that can improve our exercise economy, which improves endurance performance. As we've seen many, many times in the studies that I referenced above, economy seems to be a key factor here. So that's, and that's where plyometrics also come in, because that is definitely specifically targeted by plyometrics, that increased muscular tendinous stiffness. All right, so I'm actually really, really exhausted after doing this episode, both recording and researching uh, the entire day. So uh, I hope that you like it. Uh, Actually, if you liked this kind of ultimate guide style episode, do send me an email, please, 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 because it does take me a ton of time to prepare this kind of episode. Uh, As you can imagine, it is a lot of research that goes into it. I don't know how many hours, but it is a lot. So I really, really need to know that people are listening and finding these specific kinds of episodes valuable so I can motivate myself to do more of them. I do think there are many topics that I could do these guides on, but uh, really it, it is exhausting. Exhausting. So email me on michael at scientifictriathlon.com and that's Michael with a K and tell me that you digged it and that will improve the likelihood that I will do one sooner rather than later because, uh, wow, now I just really need to go and take a nap. But uh, when you listen to this, you can find the show notes on thattriathlonshow.com. I think you'll need them for this kind of episode. Big thanks, finally, to Ventum for supporting That Triathlon Show. Check them out on ventumracing.com. Friend of the show, the super meticulous scientific due diligence digging Canadian Cody Beals rides Ventum. He was on episode 11. He's perhaps the smartest professional triathlete out there. So if he thinks they're the fastest, they have to be the fastest. He's a physicist. Plus the wind tunnel tests, as mentioned above at the front of this episode, show that they are the fastest bike out there. Also, big, big thank you to Precision Hydration for sponsoring this episode. Remember to take their free online sweat test on precisionhydration.com to get a personalized hydration strategy for your next race and use the discount code THATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, for 15% off. That is it, my friends, for this episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.